this series has been fun. Church Rewired, Untangling the Mess. We've been really doing some great work with that, I feel. Um, I've been challenged by it. I've been empowered by it. I've been encouraged by it. I've been challenged to keep first things first. It seems like we have this red thread that's running through this series of keeping our eyes on Jesus. Look to Jesus. Don't take your eyes off Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And where can you go wrong with that? You just can't go wrong with that. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about God will give you more than you can handle. And it's true. He will. He will give you more than you can handle so that you can say, I'm at the end of myself, Jesus. All I got is you. And it's enough. And it's at that place where you get to the end of yourselves and you say, all I got is Jesus. And heaven rushes in and you say, thank you, Lord. Because I'm encountering you because I got to the end of myself. Finally, I'm at a place of surrender and laying myself down. So it's a good thing. It brings in trust. When we get to the end of ourselves, we can find that we can really trust him. Last week, Brendan talked about forgive and forget. And he had this message that actually took a battering ram and crashed down the doors that opened it up for us to step into the process of forgiveness to trust him. To trust Jesus in that process. Not forgive and forget and shove it under the rug to manifest later in our lives. But to actually step into that process and say, I trust you, Lord. This is going to be a hard process. I'm not sure exactly how to do this, but I trust you and I trust you'll work through it. And that I will come to a place of freedom. Because when we walk in forgiveness, now we're walking in a good place. We're walking in a place of contentment. We're walking in a place of peace. We're walking in a place of joy. It's worth the process. The forgiving process is worth it. And then today, we're going to talk about all things work together for good for those who love God. It's taken out of Romans 8.28. And when I preached a couple weeks ago, we talked about, you know, God works all things. No, wait, that's today. (laughs) We talked about he'll never give you more than you can handle. And we realized that that was a, a scripture taken out of context. And it's actually not true. He will give us more than we can handle. Today's verse, God works all things together for good. Guess what? It's true. Woo! (laughs) It's true. We can count on it. So then, what do we do when it doesn't feel like that's happening in our lives? What happens to us? What's our response when we feel like it's not working out for the good? Does he, and, do, and we question, does God really work, things, work all things together for good? Relating to struggles we face today, sometimes we ask that question. A couple of weeks ago, I shared about my brother Ron, born with muscular dystrophy, how his life was... He wanted it to be different, and at times it was more than he could handle. And how his life affected mine in a lot of different ways. How I had to care for him. How does God work that together for good? I don't know. Sometimes we won't, we certainly won't know most of the time when we're in the middle of it, but when, if we start to look, we can find it. We don't understand why. We have questions that go unanswered. That Sunday, we also had a funeral here, a celebration of life for Lisa Bartle, who was 53 years old. She was one of us. She was our sister in Christ. And here she is, 53 years old, and she died from cancer. That doesn't make sense. 
Is that working all things together for good? It sure doesn't seem like it. When we lose our jobs, does this mean everything's working together for good? When our children aren't following Jesus and we want them so much to know his love, does that mean everything's working together for good? When we make mistakes that seem irredeemable, does this mean all things work together for good? When the doctor says to you, I'm sorry, there's nothing more we can do, how is that good? How can that be worked together for good? And at times like this, Romans 8.28 can just feel like an empty promise. You can feel like, I don't know, I don't see it, I don't get it, I don't feel it, I don't experience it, and it feels like an empty promise. So we're stuck with this tension of it's true, but it feels empty, and it doesn't always feel true. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who love God, you know who that is? That's us. That's right. It's believers. If you have a believing faith in Jesus Christ, you believe he was the son of God and he rose from the dead and is seated at the right hand of God, that's you. For those who love God, you're in. If that's who Paul's writing to in this book of Romans. He's writing to Christians. And so that's who that's for. So guess what? The promise is for you. It's for me. It's for us. The promise is true. He will work all things together for good. But what is good? What is good? As a child, sometimes, you know, that seems to come easy, especially for our Sunday school kids. They have parents who love Jesus. They're here. They're in Sunday school. We get prayer. Brendan mentioned in announcements that we get prayer requests from them. And some of them start like this. God is all powerful. I'm reading that and I'm like, oh my God, this kid believes that. That's awesome. That's so incredible. And then the request is, will you please have him help my tooth fall out? (laughs) God is all powerful. He believes it. He or she believes it. Another one, God, is, God can do anything. Will you help him heal my grandma? And they believe it. But as life goes on, life brings its challenges. Life brings scars. And theologically, we begin to separate a little bit our head from our heart where our head says, it is good, he is good, God is good. But why do my, what is, my heart not experience that all the time? Especially in struggle. And that separation kind of begins to happen for us. It becomes more and more difficult to see the biblical truth. And to say that God is good is to say that he's kind, he's morally excellent, he's full of mercy, he's faithful, he's gracious. Good in our context today is described in 829, Romans 829. Good, Paul describes, does not mean that we're uncomfortable or that things are easy or difficult. It means that we are to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what Paul says good is. Anything in our life that helps us be conformed to Jesus, to look more like Jesus today than we did a year ago, to look more like Jesus a year from now than we do today, anything in our lives that help us get that done is good. That's how Paul describes good. Now, how many of you, that's not very comforting. That's not very comforting to me. But I trust him. 
I trust him. In essence, all things are designed for that purpose. The ultimate of good is bringing glory to God. Glory to God. Good is anything that helps make us love more, makes us trust more, makes us extend mercy more, makes us extend forgiveness more. Any, you, take, you put any character of God in there, and if, the more that we grow in those, that's good, and that's goodness. Today we're going to look at Luke chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Luke chapter 1. A lot of times Luke is used for the Christmas story. Today we're going to use it to talk about the promises of God. Luke chapter 1 is where we see John the Baptist's parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, getting the promise that they're going to have a son that will prepare the way for the Messiah. And then starting in verse 26, we see the birth of Jesus foretold. Matthew 1, or excuse me, Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 26. It says, In the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, who is John the Baptist's mother, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David, Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, so it might be a little different if you have NIV. Greetings, the Lord is with you. Verse 29 says, Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Mary gets this visitation of an angel She's confused and she's disturbed. Are there any times in your life when you feel confused and disturbed? If not, let me know your secret. <laughs> Here's Mary visiting, being visited by Angel Gabriel. She's confused and she's disturbed. says she tried to think what the angel could mean. The ESV version says tried to discern it. She tried to figure it out. She tried to reason it. She tried to be logical. How many people, and you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but just think about it. How many of us try to reason with God? How many of us try to be logical? Well, if A and plus B equals C, then this. And most of the times, I'm telling you, my, from my experience, my equations never are the same as God's. They never add up. God's are always different. They're always a different way of looking at it than how I think it should be, how I logically figure out in my mind and discern and think through and try and figure things to be. So here's Mary. <laughs> she's about to deliver the, the biggest promise in Scripture, the promise of a Savior, and she's confused, disturbed, and trying to discern it. <laughs> then the promise is delivered the angel says to her you will become pregnant and have a son and you are to name him Jesus verse 32 he will be great he will be very great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever his kingdom will never end what a promise 
It's a great promise in scripture. And jump over 34 for a second and go to 35. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby born to you will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. That's a promise. When God says, this is what's going to happen, you can bet on it. You can bet on it. You can take it to the bank. And here's the question I think the Lord posed to us today. Verse 34, we see Mary do this. Mary asked the angel, but how can I? Her question is, how can I have a baby? And her reasoning is, I am a virgin. How many times do we say, how can I do that? I'm not good enough. How can God ask me to stand up here and speak when I'm not that smart? How can I go to my neighbors when I don't know them? How can I ask somebody out to coffee when I'm afraid of what they'll think of me? How can I? How can I? What's your disqualifying question? What do you say to yourself in your mind that stops you from holding on to the promises God has for you? And how do you reason it away? How do you justify it? How do you make it seem okay? And sometimes, Brendan had mentioned this to me between services, is sometimes we even put the disqualifiers on God. If we're struggling and, and it doesn't look like everything's working out together for good, we say, well, it's not working out together for good. Therefore, I don't trust you that you will work everything together for good. Therefore, I am going to do it on my own. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to do it on my own. I'm a classic person who has tried to figure it out and do it on her own all through life. Some of it served me well because I needed it. But then you get to a point where you get to the end of yourselves and you say, I can't do this anymore. I'm exhausted and the vessel is cracking, and I am leaking out all over the place, Jesus, will you put it back together your way? Because my way is not working. It's not good enough. It's not good enough. When we look at a situation logically and try to reason, we begin to doubt the way. We begin to question. We begin to fear. And when we fear, we freeze. When we fear we freeze. A response of being afraid sometimes is not doing anything. Sometimes you might just want to punch somebody, but most, most of the time you just don't, you know, fear will stall us from God's purposes in an instant. And fear is powerful. It's really powerful. As far back as I can remember, I don't even know what my earliest memory is, probably around three or four. As far back as I can remember, my life has been ruled by fear. I'm listening to a song right now by Bethel, and it says, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I was a slave to fear. I was afraid of being in my own home. I was afraid of getting on the bus. I was afraid of Christmas mornings. I was afraid that I, of being in school. 
I was afraid I wouldn't make right decisions. I was afraid I'd say the wrong thing. Afraid I'd do the wrong thing. Afraid that I would do or say something that I wouldn't be liked. One of the biggest fears is that it would really be true. That I really was unlovable. One of the biggest fears. Afraid of the unpredictability in the home. My, my whole life was ruled by fear. I don't know why the Lord wanted me. He just was, gave me strict instructions to let you know that. I think one of the reasons is because there's somebody in here, maybe a couple, that you're, you're, just, you're even panicking inside right now because you know it. You know the panic of fear and you know the, the paralyzation of fear and you don't know how to get out of it. And the promise, like God works all things together for good, it probably even sounds empty right now to you. And if I could say anything to you, if that's you, hang on. Hang on. Because I'm not who I used to be. I'm not who I used to be. It's the power of our Lord Jesus. He transforms us and changes us and sets us free. And where slave, where I was once a slave to fear, I can now sing that song, which is the second part of the sentence is, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And it's a greater place to live. It's such a better place to live in that identity than always being afraid. Sometimes we think, what if I make the wrong decision? How many, sometimes you, you get paralyzed making a decision because that comes in your mind of like, well, what if it's not the right decision? What if it's the wrong decision? What if I don't know where to go to college? What if I don't know what to do with my life? What if I don't know who my friends are going to be? What if I don't know whether to go out for the baseball team? What if I don't know whether or not to get involved at church? And these decisions, are we going to move? Are we going to get a new job? And we paralyze because we're so afraid we'll make the wrong decision. God works all things together for good. And when we can trust that and we can believe that, and then we go, okay, well, I'm just going to choose this because it's the lesser of two evils. I don't know. I'm just going to pick this one. And we know that God's going to work together all things for good. We have this freedom to enjoy it. We're not stuck in this place of like constant worry and tension of, oh, I hope I made the right decision. I hope I did the right thing. He works everything are there consequences? Absolutely. I have a lot of consequences I had to deal with for my life. But it still worked all things together for good. What if you make the wrong decision in the past? Are you disqualified? Maybe that's one of your disqualifying statements. How can God use me because of what I've done? How can God use me because of what I've not done? You're not disqualified. He'll work it all out together for those who love God. He works it for the good. He really does. You don't have to worry about it. Now, I say you don't have to worry about it, but that doesn't mean you won't worry about it. I know that. I know enough to know that. 
But when we do begin to worry about it, and we do begin to wonder, we do begin to doubt, we do begin to rationalize, and we start playing that old question over and over again, if we have more awareness of what's going on, and that fear is trying to take over, we can turn and we can go, okay, I know this. This is that old pattern over and over and over. So we know the truth, but because of our lives, we've developed habits sometimes, and we need to, we need to redevelop our habit to look to Jesus to say, okay, I know this. This is fear. Jesus, what do you want me to know? What do you want me to know? And Jesus will never humiliate you. He'll gently coach you in the way of, that are his ways that are good. When I was thinking about this message, I thought, okay, Lord, you want me to talk about my life and how it was so filled with fear. What good can come from that? What good can come from a childhood enslaved by fear? What good can come from a home without emotional love and... and, uh, support and provision what can what good can come from that and the lord said this to me you get to stand there and tell him you get to stand there and tell him this is what good will come from something like that that you can give testimony to how you were enslaved in fear and you no longer are a child that's enslaved in fear you're now a child of god that's what's the good And if there's anyone in here that struggles with fear, even in the slightest things of how, you know, we talked about, if it's something you've done or something you're about to do, or maybe it's just a a childhood where you were ruled by fear, no matter what that is, he can take it and he can use it and it'll be okay. And if you're in that place, hang on to hope. You know what? Hope is stronger than fear isn't it? Hope is stronger than fear. Earlier in, chap- in Luke chapter 1, we read about Zechariah, and Zechariah didn't believe the angel Gabriel. And so Zechariah said, you know, so if you read it, he was muted. So he didn't believe, and he had a consequence for it. But you know what? The promise was still made. God still fulfilled his promise of bringing the Messiah. The mistakes that Zechariah made did not thwart God's plans. The promise still happened. It still happened. So if that's, your, if that's you, I'm just thinking that if, if there's somebody in here that you're thinking you're disqualified because of something you've done, the Lord might want to say something to you about it. Because really, when it comes right down to it, we really don't have that much power. (laughs) We don't have that much power to undo God's plans. We really don't. And you're not disqualified. When we look at the situation and logically try to reason, we doubt the way. When we look at Romans 8, 28, for the kingdom perspective and trust that God's working all things together, we don't fear as much. We're not paralyzed to make decisions. This verse, Romans 8, 28, it's not a correction. It's not a threat. It's a promise. It's a promise. In every situation we've endured, we are enduring, or are, are enduring, he'll work it out for good. He knows the suffering. He knows the temptation. He knows our humanity. He can relate. 
He can relate when the angel Gabriel was talking to Mary. It says, what more? Your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. He's relating. He's saying, look, look at somebody else's testimony. Look at what I've done. Look at the God of the impossible and what he's done. He can do it in your life too. And I'm standing here today saying, if he can do this in my life, he can do it in yours. That's good. That's the good work of Jesus Christ. It's the good work of the kingdom that we can tell each other. Why and why and why do we keep beating community here? Why do we keep saying, get connected? Have somebody that you can have coffee with. Have somebody that you can talk to about. One reason is so you don't go it alone. The other reason is because somebody needs to hear your story. Somebody needs to hear your testimony. Somebody needs to know that God has it. He hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't forsaken you. He hasn't given up on you. He's not duping you. He's not playing a, like this big puppeteer and, and, and saying, I don't really care. He cares. There's over 3,000 plus promises in the Bible. I didn't take time to look them all up. Why? Why is God so about covenant and about promises because he's for us and he loves us. And we see at the end of this um, section of scripture the ultimate promise of our Father in heaven is given, a Savior, Jesus Christ. It's fulfilled despite the doubts, despite the confusion, despite the, the wanting to reason it and logically talk about it, the promise is fulfilled. Hallelujah. Deliverer, Emmanuel, King of Kings, Savior. Luke 1.45, Elizabeth says to Mary, you are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. I don't know where you're at. If you'll believe he'll do what he says. Some days I do, some days I don't, honestly. And I'm, I think that's Okay. Because he'll work it all good for any, anyways. Even if some days I do, some, day, some days I don't. He'll still work it for good. I want to believe it. I want to believe God is good. God is good in my mind is an easy thing to believe. Theologically, I know. Scripturally, I know. But what I don't always know is in my heart. Is he always good here? But I believe it. And my prayer is that I would begin to live my life more in line with what I believe than out of old ways, old habits, old tapes, old thoughts, old things that I've heard. I don't, want to, I don't want to live there. I want to, my prayer is that I would live more from a place of Jesus. I believe with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind that I love God. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Son of God. So I leave you with this. I leave us with this because obviously this is hitting close to home for me. This thing about fear. Hope is stronger. Hope is stronger than fear. 
Do whatever you have to do to hang on to hope. Hebrews 10.23 says this, Without wavering, let us hold tightly to the hope we say we have, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. And there it is again, trust. This series, we've been talking about trusting God over and over and over. And we, it's not why we started the series. We didn't sit at the table and say, we need to talk about trusting God, but it's what keeps coming. It what, it's what keeps emerging out of the messages. And it's the way the Holy Spirit works in our hearts. And I think there's something there for us to learn. And I'm telling you guys, if your truster has been broken over and over and over and over, God can redeem it. He can bring you back to a place where you do trust again. And he'll bring you back to a place where you do trust him again. That he really will fulfill his promise and work all things together for good for those who love God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you have been on a train that just keeps bringing us back to you and back to you and back to you and back to you. I thank you that you can overcome fear. I pray right now that if there's anyone in here that lives in fear, struggles with fear, is paralyzed by fear, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would begin to break that chain. That the chains would be dropped and life abundantly and joy and the possibility that you really are who you say you are would begin to creep into their hearts. That it's true, that you are good and you work all things together for good. I just pray that in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Lord, that you bring hope, that you are hope. You're the giver of hope and you are the essence of hope. I thank you, Lord, that we have hope in you. And I just pray that we would hang on to that because it's good. It's good. Lord, we just ask right now, uh, what do you want to say? What do you want to say to me? If you're willing, uh, just I'm seeing a picture. If you guys just close your eyes and ask that to Jesus, what do you want to say to me? One of the things Mary did in response to Elizabeth saying, you are blessed because you believe the Lord would do what he said, Mary praised. So let's praise the Lord.